0: Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. Praise God. God is good all the time. Welcome to church this this Palm Sunday. I got my Palm shirt on. He's got palms on it. What pastor you know that has a Palm Sunday shirt? I didn't know what I was going to wear this morning. I saw, I was like, that would be perfect, right? <laughs> Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. Next week, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Amen. And it's going to be awesome. And- and I want to invite you to invite somebody else. Easter, they call it the Super Bowl of Sundays, because people who don't normally come to church they'll go to church on Easter because they like to keep some semblance of of religious tradition, right? And 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 that's okay because the the, the Word of God it penetrates everything, right? And so bring somebody to church next weekend, next Saturday we're going to have an awesome awesome event. Um, And it's going to be, it's going to be a joy. Amen. But this morning I want to, I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel of John chapter 12. We're going to be reading 20 through 34, John 12, 20 through 34. And if you have it, once you have it, give me an amen. Amen. We're going to read just a little bit this morning. Um, Those fine arts performances, man, blew me away. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being there and I didn't get to watch all of them. I was I was judging some of the some of the categories. Um, But man, our kids are so talented, man. And I I don't we don't have to worry about the next generation because God is raising up a good generation of of servants. Amen. John 12, 20. Are you there? Amen. It says some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for Passover celebration paid visit to Philip, who was from beside in Galilee. And they said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the father will honor anyone who serves me. Verse 27 says, now my soul is deeply troubled. And should I pray father, save me from this hour. But this is the very reason that I came. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder while others declared an angel had spoken. And Jesus told them the voice was for your benefit, not for mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, We understood from the scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, Father. I pray that you have spoken it over me, Lord, and I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would be on my lips, my God, and that you would be on our hearts, my God, to be receptive of this word, my God. I pray that it would bring conviction and freedom, my God, and salvation. Father God, do what you want to do, Holy Spirit. Not my way, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is, uh, is after Philippians 121, where uh, Paul tells the church of Philippi, he says, to die is gain. To die is gain. That's the title of my sermon this morning. There's something about that phrase that just doesn't make sense, right? To die is gain. When we talk about death, we don't ever really associate it with gain. We associate it with loss. We say, I'm sorry for your loss. We say, my, my, my loved one just passed away. We don't, we don't associate death with joy or strength or gain. And, and, and we, we celebrate the fact that we serve a living God. Amen. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God. So to say to die is gain. It just it, it doesn't really make sense. But this is the very mission of Jesus. He has to die so that the kingdom of heaven would gain. And all of this that we just read, this takes place uh, the week before Jesus goes to the cross. Again, today is known as Palm Sunday, the week right before Resurrection Sunday. And it marks the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem when he rode into Jerusalem on a on a cult. And the Bible says that the people, they received him as king. They laid down their garments and they uh, they, they, they threw palms um, to, 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 to uh, welcome Jesus as their king because they believe that Jesus was going to free them from political oppression, right? We all know that. And so this all takes place a week out from Jesus' death. But people aren't celebrating his death. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, people are celebrating a new king who is about to begin his reign. And see, in Jesus' day, how many of you know that Jesus had a lot of followers? He had a lot of followers, Crowds would gather to hear this man of Galilee by the thousands. He, uh, he, was, he was made into some type of like a, like a celebrity even in his day. He was popular. He was controversial. He, he was an amazing teacher and he did miracles. And with all of that, the word spread, uh, spread throughout the region of the, uh, of the New Testament Israel that he was also the son of David. He was the promised Messiah and that he was going to take back the throne of David, And so this is exactly what the people of Israel were waiting for. They had been waiting for a long time for this king to return and, rest- and restore the kingdom of Israel. Because as of this, as of now, they were captives of Rome. They were a nation without really a home of their own. And so Jesus, he was popular. And he had a lot of followers. And he had a lot of different types of followers. He didn't always have the same types of followers. Jesus had his, his inner circle. He had his 12 disciples that were always with him, that were learning from him. He also had a less intimate group of disciples who were committed to his ministry, but they weren't as, as involved as the 12. Then he had a lot of people who followed his teachings, people who believed in what he said about himself, and they applied much of what he taught to their lives. Right. There's a lot of people who who come to church. Maybe you come on Sundays and, 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 and that's OK. You're you're a Christian. You accept Jesus, but you're not necessarily involved in the ministry. Um, and then Jesus had a lot of people. He had a lot of spectators, he had a lot of skeptics. He had a lot of people who would go to the Jesus event just to see what all the hype was about. Or maybe maybe it's like, you know, when you go to Easter Sunday, you're only there because somebody invited you there. But you don't you're not really sure. You're not really sure if you believe yet. You're kind of still on the fence But Jesus attracted a lot of spectators. And then there was another group of followers that Jesus had called haters. (laughs) How many of you know that you can have followers who are also haters? These are the people who follow you closely because they hope that you fall. They are waiting for you to slip up. And the only reason they're in your network is so that they can be there to witness your fall. They follow you because they hate you. The enemy follows you. He follows you. He knows what you're doing. He knows what your weakness is. He he knows what your struggles are, but he's not following you because he wants to hang out with you. The Bible describes him as, as a roaring lion and he's hungry and he's on the hunt. And when lions hunt, they have to follow you to kill you. And so for Jesus, these were the Pharisees. These were the Sadducees, the religious leaders following Jesus everywhere that he went so that they could catch him in a crime And arrest him. And so Jesus had all these types of followers. He was popular, the name of Jesus. Everybody knew the name of Jesus. But this was also a time where so many of the followers, I would say all of the followers of Jesus, all different types of followers of Jesus, were still trying to figure out who Jesus really was. There was a lot of skepticism around the person of Jesus. And there was a lot of questions that people had about Jesus. This Jesus, okay, he's a miracle worker, but where does his power come from? Some people accused him of of possessing the power of Satan. That's the only reason you're able to do miracles, because you're possessed by Satan. This Jesus, he's a great teacher, but is he a false teacher? Is he teaching the truth? Because we know that controversial teachings can attract a lot of people. And so this Jesus, he's a great teacher, but is, is he Is he really a good teacher? This Jesus, he's the son of David. He says he's the Christ, but he's also God. There's a lot to figure out about Jesus. Even the disciples didn't understand everything. I wanted to read from Matthew 16. Um, For the sake of time, I'll just summarize it. But Jesus asked the disciples the question, who do you say that I am? Right. Because again, this was a time where everybody had something to say about Jesus. Everybody had something, some type of opinion or perspective about Jesus. And so Jesus asks this question that probably is, is, is in everybody's talks, right? Everybody's talking about Jesus. And he presses this question to his most intimate circle of people who know him best. And he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him. He praises Peter for for rightly recognizing who Jesus was. But in the very same chapter, if you read it, Jesus also rebukes Peter because Peter fails to understand the mission of Jesus. We truly don't understand how confusing it was to be a follower of Jesus in this day. I mean, I know in hindsight, we, we look at the people and we look at their mistakes and we're like, man, these people are stupid. It's right in front of them. But like, if we were there, we have it so good now. We, we have, we, we know who Jesus is. We have the 66 books of the Bible. The canon of scripture is closed. Paul said in Ephesians, he said that the mystery of the gospel has now been revealed. Our eyes are open. We now know not who just Jesus is, but what he had to do. But in Jesus' day, it was rough, man. And I can't, I can't honestly say that if I was with Jesus in his inner circle, that I would understand any of it. I think I would have just been there smiling and nodding at whatever Jesus said, like, all right. And it would go over my head. Because think about it. Okay, Jesus, you, you have a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom of this world. What, what is that about? Jesus, you, you are the king who's going to live forever, but you have to die. You are God, but yet you are mortal. So the question at the end of the passage that we just read, I think, is justifiable. Who is the son of man? Who is he? And and can I tell you, man, there's still so much about God that we don't understand. There's so much that we don't understand. We don't understand what he does. I'm convinced that as humans, we will never stop trying to figure out God. I mean, because we, we try to make sense of everything. When something bad happens in your life, when you lose something, when you lose a job, when you lose a house, when you lose a girlfriend, we're always trying to figure out a reason. Well, maybe it's because of this. Maybe there's something better. Maybe there's something worse. Maybe I'm not meant for this. We always, we're trying to figure out life. And as, as, as believers, as Christians, we try to make sense of everything but through a Christian perspective, right? We try to to make sense of our our battles that we're facing, right? And so we always say things like, God is up to something. God is doing something, right? And I just know that the 12 disciples and the people closest to Jesus, they were committed to him and they trusted him, but they didn't understand his mission. They They couldn't make sense of it. And the most confusing part of all of this and much of the reason that Jesus lost many of his followers by the time he got to the cross was because he was saying that he had to die. How is it that you are this conquering king who has to die? You can't can't serve a dead king. Dead kings have no power. Dead kings can't do anything. People want a strong leader. You you ain't strong if you're dead. And so, yeah, Jesus, it's cool that you do all these miracles and you're a great teacher and, 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 and you come against the religious leaders and you're strong while you're alive, but you're about to die. See what I'm saying? Like, this is why Jesus had lost so many of his followers, even some of his disciples by the time that he was executed, because it seemed that all this hype was for nothing. Maybe Jesus is just a a fraud, because kings come to conquer, not to die. And the 12 disciples, they first started to follow Jesus because they believed that he was going to establish a kingdom and they were going to be a part of that kingdom and they were going to have a place of honor in that kingdom, but now their king is going to die. And not everybody knew this at first. Not everybody knew that he was going to die when he came riding into Jerusalem. Right? They were ready to receive him as king and declare victory. And they laid down their garments and their, and their palms. That was, a, that was an act of royal treatment. And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which is a, a literal cry for help and salvation. Because they believed that the Messiah was going to save them from their own worldly struggle. And Jesus had a different plan. And this, I think, serves as a reminder that God just, man, he sees things differently, church. Our, our, our view is not God's view. Our understanding is not God's understanding. And sometimes God has a different plan for your life. And how many times has it happened where you're so excited for what God said he was going to do? And you're already counting the victory. You're already counting the blessing. And you're on your best behavior. And you're fasting because any minute now, Jesus is going to deliver the blessing. And you you, you don't want to upset him, right? And so you're shouting praises. And you're singing hallelujah. And then God says, wait, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. Have you ever noticed that in scripture that when God gives a word of promise and a word of blessing and prosperity, he rarely tells the people what they're going to have to confront before they get there. Have you ever noticed that? It should, again, it should be so obvious to us that it's never going to be that easy. God told Abraham, go to the land of promise. I'm going to make a nation out of you, and you are going to have an abundant of children. But there was a lot of details that God left out. There was a lot that he didn't tell Abraham. God, you forgot to mention the struggle that I'm going to have with my nephew Lot. You forgot to struggle the, the uh, you, you forgot to mention the faith and the patience that I'm going to have to endure. You forgot to mention that I'm going to have to end up having a child with my wife's servant and it's going to cause a lot of family drama. You forgot to mention a lot of things. God told Moses, go and I want you to take my people out of Egypt and I'm going to use you, Moses, in the greatest exodus the world has ever seen. God, you forgot to mention the 40 years. In the wilderness, you forgot you forgot that part. Had you told me that first, had you told me the details first, I could have decided if it was worth it or not. God told David, "You're going to be king, son." I, bas- I he, he bypassed all of his older brothers, better-looking brothers, stronger brothers, and he went to the little one, little David. You are going to be king. And I bet David was like, really? Like he was just like this kid, like just, you're just offering them candies all, all excited. You're going to be king, David. But you forgot to mention Goliath. You forgot to mention the fact that I'm going to have to be on the run for 15 years because the king who's king now is going to want me dead. So I'm going to have to flee from my life. You forgot to mention some things to me, God. It's always, like, it's always like God is showing us the shiny object, but he never shows us the ugly. God, that's not fair, God. That's not fair. How are you going to do that? And so this is why when we get word of promise and word of growth and word of health and word of provision and word of calling, we're always so fired up because we think it's going to happen the very next day. I remember, the, I remember the first time I got a word of like financial abundance, and I've gotten several of those, and I'm, I'm still waiting but I remember, I remember the first one that I got, man. I was so excited, and I was like, I was just so naive. I, 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 the very next day, I wanted to book like this really lavish vacation, and I wanted to. I told I told my wife, Babe, don't don't worry about it. We're about to come into some money, <laughs> says the Lord. Right? As far as I'm concerned, this credit card bill belongs to the Lord. That's that's how we think. We think it's going to be easy. Why do we think that? Why do we think it's going to be easy? God shows you the thing. God shows you the victory, but he doesn't show you the the struggle. And I believe 100% it's because if he shows you the struggle, you will never get the victory. Because we fear the journey. We fear the struggle. And I, I don't know how many of you are in the struggle right now. And you're fighting, you're clawing, and you're crawling, and you're barely alive, but you're trying to make it to what God has shown you. And you're like, what the heck, God? You didn't mention this part. You didn't mention the hurt. You didn't mention the heartache. You didn't mention the divorce. You didn't mention the foreclosure. You didn't mention the fact that I was going to lose my business. You didn't mention some things to me. But I went faithfully, trusting that you were going to deliver. There is nothing easy about the mission of Christ. Jesus had to die in order for life to be restored. You know, I'm, I'm sure that if God really wanted to, he could have, he could have just snapped his fingers like Thanos, you know, just redid, just re, reboot this whole thing, right after Adam and Eve. He could have created. John, Ryan, and Melissa. We, we would have got things right, right babe. But you see, God desires men and women who believe. Believe. He wants believers. That's what Christians are. We are believers. We believe without seeing. What did he tell Thomas? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's what a believer is. That's what God wants. He wants believers. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But you know what? It's easy to believe with our eyes. It's easy to believe when things are easy and when God is just opening up every door as an opportunity. This is why God takes us through the journeys before we could ever receive what was promised. This is why he lets us experience loss before we ever see gain because if we remain faithful to God and we believe in Him even if it doesn't make sense that is the true mark of a believer can you go through this and still come out alive because I'll tell you man some people go into the fire and they die in the fire some people go into the wilderness and they die in the wilderness because even though victory is on the other side even though the promise is on the other side People aren't willing to endure the in between. Notice that the crowds ask Jesus, they ask him two questions. They want to know more about why he's going to die when the scripture says that he's going to live forever. And then they want to know who the Son of Man is. So Jesus dodges both of those questions, he doesn't answer them. Ah, Isn't that frustrating, man? When you're asking God some questions, God, give me some revelation, God, give me some clarity. there's a prophet coming next week. Bless you. There's a prophet coming next week. That's the last time. Bless you. (laughs) There's a prophet coming next week. I can't wait to receive my word. We're always, we're always wanting an answer from God. We always want to understand. And so the crowd asked him, okay, who is the son of man? Explain it to us again. Dumb it down like I'm five. Tell me, tell me why you have to die. When the scripture says that the king is going to live forever. You ever do that? You ever try to like come back at God with scripture? God, your word says, it says in the book of Psalms, have you read your word? You know, like try to reason with God. And and Jesus asks these two questions, but he he doesn't answer them. And, and I, I, bring a lot of questions to God in my prayers, man. I don't always get the answers. Why? Why don't we get the answers when we ask God? Because faith is not aided by information. What what, what is faith aided by? It's aided by dependence on God. It's aided by trust. If God gives you more information, your faith isn't increasing. If God gives you more answers and more revelation, your faith isn't increasing. So sometimes you just have to trust And so I I, I love what verse 35 says. I love it now. I probably would have hated the answer if I were there. But he says, Jesus replied, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in it while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time, and then you will become children of the light. So Jesus doesn't answer their question. He tells them to trust him. He doesn't have time to explain every detail. He already told them what was going to happen. He was, it was no secret. He told everyone that he had to suffer death. If you still don't understand, okay, that's fine. Just trust. Just trust. Jesus has already done the miracles to support his divinity and his authority. Why do you need more information? Some of us walk in fear and we walk in doubt. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. Sometimes I'm walking in fear and doubt, and I'm like, God, are you even listening? God, do you even care about these needs that I've been praying for years about? I've been coming to you with the same thing, the same issue. Where are you at? Where are you at? And then God reminds me, have I not proven myself faithful? Have I not made a way before for you? Have I not taken you out of the grave? Have I not saved your life? And I don't have an answer. Because God has been faithful. God is faithful. I don't need more information for him to prove his faithfulness. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God was faithful, then he'll be faithful today. Jesus did all these miracles. He spent three years of his ministry doing miracles that was supposed to be the proof of his divinity. And so now when he's saying things like, okay, I'm going to die. It's causing a lot of doubt in the people who are following Jesus. And verse 37 says, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people did not believe. Man, church, we have given so much power to to negativity, to negative circumstances, we've given so much power to that, and I, I'm sure I'm speaking for all of us. I speak for myself. I've given so much power to negative circumstances. Now, when I'm stressed, when I'm frustrated, when 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 some negative things happen in my life, it's it's really hard to believe that something good can come from it. But think about death now. Death is in our minds. Death is final. Death is the end. I've I've never I've never spoken to a loved one who's already died. I've never gone out to eat with somebody who's already passed away. Death is final. It's it's no wonder that so many followers of Jesus felt defeated when he said, I have to die. Because death is final. Death is the true king. No one comes out of death. You know, I've been having some really intimate moments recently with God. And of course, you know, I'm I'm, I'm seeking God, but I'm also asking, I'm asking God for for some things. And how many of us got needs? We all have something that we're coming to God with. And God has not changed, like I said. God is still very much in the business of keeping us out of the loop. And most of the times God just gives us enough to have faith in Him. That's it. Christians are always saying, you know, God is He's up to something. He's doing something. And as vague as that is, it's just enough for us to have faith in Him. If God is doing something, it must mean that it, it must mean that something good will eventually work out. Now, for me, what frustrates me is not that, that, is not that I think God isn't doing something. I know that God is always at work. The part that frustrates me is the fact that it will eventually work out for good. Why can't it happen right away? Why do I have to wait? Why, why do I have to experience loss before I see gain? Why do I have to lose my job for my faith to increase? Why does my marriage have to hit rock bottom before it begins to thrive again? Why, why does it feel like I... Why does it feel like I have to go through a curse before I have to get to a blessing? Come on, Job. Why does it feel like in order to be blessed, first I have to be cursed? Why can't I skip the curse? Or maybe I don't need the blessing. I'm just good right here. I don't need to be elevated. I'm good right here. I'm good right here. Don't let anything bad happen to me. And I'm okay with nothing good happening to me. I'm fine right here in the neutral. But God wants to take us from glory to glory to glory to glory. He wants to increase our faith. He wants to increase your patience. It's the eventually that I don't like. I hate the eventually. The other day I told told my wife. I said, I was having a very vulnerable moment with her. Man, it's okay to cry sometimes, all right? Not that I was crying. <laughs> I told her, I, I, I told her, babe, I have full faith that God is, wor- is working. He's doing something. I, I know it. I know that God has not forgotten about me. But I said, what I'm worried about is that his plan involves my discomfort. That's what I'm worried about because I fear the Lord. I come to God with fear and trembling. I come to God knowing that he has all authority, and if he wants to strip me, he can strip me, and I have to be okay with it because he's God. I told her I'm worried that God requires things to get worse before they get better. I don't know if this is for anybody today, but sometimes you get to a point in your prayers where the thing that you've been praying against is a thing that God requires to happen in order for his plan to work out. We like to rebuke the discomfort. We like to rebuke the negativity. We like to rebuke the possibility of loss and sickness and hardship. But in doing so, we don't realize that we may be rebuking God's plan. Jesus told the disciples, I must suffer. I must die. These things must happen. And Peter said, I rebuke you. And Jesus said, no, I rebuke you. So many times the loss is a part of the game, but because it's so hard for us to understand that, that, that loss can lead to something good. We rebuke anything that looks uncomfortable. And I'm at the point right now in my prayers where I'm saying, God, the thing that I've been praying against, if you need it to happen, let it happen. And can I tell you, that was the hardest prayer I've ever had to pray. Literally, when, I was, when I, was tr- I was trying to get the words out and I couldn't say it all the way. My mind wanted to say it, but my words couldn't say it. I was like, well, maybe I'll hold off a little bit. It's the hardest thing to pray. Lord, I don't want this. I'm praying against it. I'm holding on. But if you need me to let go, do it. I, the way that I pray over my loved ones who are you know, not in the Lord. I think I've shared this with you before. but what, I, I, I pray very, very hardcore for them, right? I say, God, if you need to break them in order for them to come back to you, break them. Break them. Bring them to a new low like you did with the prodigal son. If they need to get heartbroken, break that heart. Break it. Break it. If they need to experience loss, God, if they need to be hurt, if they need to be shaken, shake them, Lord, if it means they come back to you And are restored and whole. Man, I pray that prayer so boldly for other people. It's not easy when you pray for it for yourself. Because I don't want to be broken. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want my world to be shaken. I don't want to lose. I hate losing. I don't want to lose. But sometimes in order for there to be a gain, you have to be able to first take the loss. And know that the loss, church, is only temporary. What you're experiencing right now, what you're going through right now, the loss, the defeat, the brokenness, the hopelessness, the depression, it's only temporary. It's not really a loss. But it will feel like a loss. It will feel like pain. We all know that the death of Christ, it didn't end there. But, But it was a necessary step in eternal life at the, at the the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays father, if you will let this pass, this cup pass from me, if you will it, take this, take it from me. I love this moment in, in Jesus lives because it, it, it's such a human moment. You see the disturbance in Jesus spirit. I mean, how many of us prayed the same thing? Lord, if you will deliver me from this hour, Deliver me. Jesus doesn't, listen, Jesus doesn't want to suffer. Who wants to suffer? He doesn't want to be beaten. He doesn't want to be humiliated. He doesn't want to die a death on the cross. This is the son of the living God, and he's going to die in the most humiliating way. And they're going to nail a a sign to the top of the cross, mockingly saying, this is the king of the Jews. You think he wants to go through that? But not once did Jesus ever rebuke the loss that was coming his way. No, instead he rebuked Peter when Peter said, Surely you're not going to die. Church, I want to encourage you today. And if if the band can come up, if we learn anything from Scripture, If we learn anything about the way that God works through man, I want you to get this. We know that God will put man in front of a sea with an army behind him and no way to get through to the other side. We know that God does things like that only for him and his hand to bring power to his name. We know that God will bring little bitty, little bitty David, in front of a giant, just so that he can watch the giant fall. We know, we know that 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 Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon. Gideon started with like three thousand men or ten thousand men. He was going up in, he was going up against an army of thirty-two thousand men. And God says, "Hey, your ten thousand is too much. All right, three thousand too much." God strips it down to 300. That's that's impossible. How are 300 men going to defeat an army of 32,000? This is what God likes to do. He likes to take you to things that seem impossible and hopeless. And he strips away so that you know that in God, less is more. In God, in God, to die is to gain. Jesus... Jesus took three loaves of bread and two fish and he looked at a crowd of 5,000 people and said, this doesn't intimidate me. This is nothing. Bring on 10,000 more. Do we ever understand what God is doing in the moment? No. Nope. But if God takes you through a loss and if he humbles you and he's stripping things from your life, it could very well be that he's trying to increase something that you didn't even know that that you needed, but you have to face it. You have to face it so that you can defeat it. I'm about to be dismissed or I'm about to to end, but I love that the greatest miracle, you still with me? Give, give, Give me just two more minutes, two more minutes. I love that the greatest miracle that ever took place, greatest miracle that the world has ever seen, it began with death began with the loss do you realize that think about the greatest thing that God could ever do who would ever think to begin with death death is the end death is final the way that the world has always thought about death was as a champion death is the victor you can't get past death death takes all the greats down. You can be the greatest king. You can be Alexander the Great. You can have the greatest mind. You can have the greatest legacy. You can have the greatest empire. But everyone answers to death. No one can escape death. And so when Jesus is saying, yeah, I gotta die, imagine what the disciples and what all the followers of Jesus are thinking. I thought you were God. How does God die? I don't get it. The greatest miracle began with death. And you know, people were pretty impressed when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the grave. The Bible says that, that, that he had a lot of followers follow him into Jerusalem because he was a true miracle worker. I mean, he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. The miracle worker's dead. It didn't make sense. Church, Jesus had to conquer the very thing that no one ever stopped to think was able to be conquered. Jesus says in verse 30, this is the time when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. The word Satan means adversary. It, it, it's someone who comes in opposition to of another. Satan is God's adversary. And he and so Satan comes against any plan that God has in this world. God's plan from the from the beginning was what? To bring life, to restore life. Because what happened in the garden of Eden? Death was brought into the world. Death. And so God says, "You know what? Serpent, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel." But life will be restored. Life will be brought back to life. Death will no longer reign. Satan, the adversary, will no longer reign. And so when Jesus said it's time for Satan to be cast out, listen, he wasn't saying that Satan was gonna go away right away. Satan is still very much in this world and active. What was he saying? Jesus was saying that death, the grip, Of the adversary. The sting of death was no longer going to be. Death had to be destroyed. And the only way to destroy something is to face it. The beauty of of what Jesus did is not only his sacrifice. I mean that's so beautiful. And that's what that's what we That's what we become so grateful for is is the sacrifice of Jesus. And we commemorate it through uh, communion and we celebrate his death that gave us life. But you know, the real punchline of Christianity is not his death. The reason that we're here is not his death. It's, It's because he resurrected from death. But you know what? He had to first visit death. He had to first die to put death to death. was cast out of the world for all who would simply believe in his name this is why there is a resurrection this is why next week this place is going to be packed with people giving God, uh, glory to God for the life they received through the resurrection of Jesus but first Jesus had to face death he had to do what didn't make sense to anyone he had to visit Sheol the place, the place of the dead in order to bring life back And in Ephesians 4 7 through 10, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Talking about grace. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might feel all things. The death of Christ. our gain, church. And so I want to encourage you today, maybe you're in a moment of not understanding what God is doing, and you're in a moment that feels like defeat and it feels like loss. Remember that the God who gave life first had to die. Death is not our end. Pain is not our end. Loss is not the end for all those who come to Jesus. I want you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for your resurrecting life in us, Lord. And I pray this morning that you would remind us, Lord, anyone who is going through a period of low, anyone who has hit rock bottom, my God, that sometimes in order to conquer those things, you have to face it. And I pray that you would bring an overwhelming amount of strength here in the room right now, Lord, for anyone who's feeling spiritually depleted, Anyone, my God, who is getting to that point in their prayer where they have to say, God, just do the thing that I don't want you to do, but you have to do. I trust in you. I trust in the process. I have faith in you, my God. And I pray, Lord, that if you're withholding information from me, I would know that you are doing something, Father God. And I pray that faith would be activated in this place right now. Holy Morning, I want to pray for some people this morning. I'm going to ask a prayer team to come up. If you're in thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again, and God bless.